Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, November 16th. There has been much hand-wringing in recent weeks about the metaverse, but fashion image maker Nick Knight is not phased. Leaving aside the business troubles of companies operating in the space, Nick sees the metaverse as a fertile space for new forms of digital creativity. He recently launched Icon One NFTs in collaboration with model and creator Jazelle. By creating collectible works of digital art, Nick believes fashion creativity can shift to this new medium, just like it did to live streaming, social media, and other forms of digital creativity, which are now part of the fashion firmament. This week on the BOF podcast, I talked to Nick Knight about how he sees digital creativity evolving in the fashion space and how anyone who's looking to the past will simply be left behind. Here's Nick Knight on the BOF podcast. Mr. Nick Knight, how are you? Uh, hi, Imran. Uh, I'm fine. I'm very, very happy to be talking to you this morning. But no, all good. Thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I was thinking back to 2008 when you and I first sat down for our first in-depth interview. And then many years later, we actually also sat down 
again for this podcast. But all of that happened pre-pandemic. And for those of you listening who haven't heard my first two conversations with Nick, we will put links to them in the episode notes because there's a lot there that Nick and I covered. But where I want to start today, Nick, is just get a sense of what the last few years have been like for you. Have they been transformative for you just as they have been for so many of us? You know, the pandemic, how has the pandemic and the period intervening since then changed you in the way you're thinking about your work? Well, actually, quite fundamentally, it's, I think you're very accurate what you said. It has for a lot of people, if not everybody, been a moment of self-reflection, a moment to sort of really sort of take stock of who we are, what we're doing, all those sorts of things. When it first started, I remember thinking, okay, so I'm going to be forced for the first time in my life to take a holiday. And I dug myself a vegetable patch, got myself a greenhouse, uh, and started growing vegetables. And, you know, cause who knows where the food was going to come from. And also, it was nice to be in contact with the soil. And the earth is something actually, I think, quite therapeutic of actually growing things and creating life in, in that way. And of course, that's not at all how it played out. Having spent the sort of previous 20 years saying fashion's got to communicate digitally and there's a new way of doing this and fashion shows are, uh, aren't fashionable anymore and you know, should look at different things. So people like Ricardo Tisci, Iris van Herpen, John Galliano, Pierre Paolo from Valentino, they phoned me and said, basically, how do we go on? We can't physically be in the same place, Nick. So how do we create campaigns? How do we fill our magazine full of editorials? What do we do? So actually, it became incredibly busy. I spent most of the pandemic perfecting the, the art of remote shooting. So whereas you have a camera set up in a studio wherever in the globe in Los Angeles or Tokyo, but from my house or from my studio in London, I can see through the camera lens and I press the zero key on my keyboard or my keypad on my computer and it takes a picture across the other side of the world. Wow. Uh, it is a bit wow, actually. And the model on the other side of the world, whoever it is, I can see them, they can see me and they can hear my voice. It gets a huge screen, gets put up in the studio and I sort of boom in kind of directorial instructions just like I would do if I was in the studio with them. So that's actually a new way of working and a new way of almost considering what we do. Because the, the image of a fashion photographer really hasn't been updated since the mid-60s. You know, we still, to some degree, rely on that old image from the, the Antonioni film, Blow Up, of a sort of, you know, David Hemmings being David Bailey, more or less, and being all that sort of the version of that sort of fashion photographer. And to a large extent, that hasn't really changed. I mean, there are sort of nuances of that, but more or less, you know, that's a sort of public perception. And it's never one I particularly like, to be honest. I've never felt at ease with it. And I've never felt that's how I want people to think about what I do. So it was, to some degree, our hopefully aspirational vision of how to create fashion imagery started to come to mind. So the idea that I would walk into my studio and there's a bank of screens and you click on a button and boom, you open up in LA or boom, you open up in Milan or Paris or wherever it is, that seems to me a lot more kind of coherent with everything I've been doing and thinking about. So that was one thing. So a lot of the, the shooting kept on going, and I shot through Zoom or through different um, platforms you know, to create images remotely. It's not that different, to be honest, than doing it the old-fashioned way, if you want, where you're actually physically in a room. You're still looking at something. 
you're still talking to a person, you're still directing them, you're still posing in front of the camera so that they can understand what body shape you're asking them to assume. And to a large degree, that's not much different from what I do in any case if I was in the studio. Of course, there's a slightly different physical aspect of it. But I have one screen that shows me what the camera is seeing, one screen that shows me the overall room, and then one screen that's showing me sort of details or kind of, you know, the, the people who would be standing behind me normally. So other people in the room, whether it's a stylist, hairdresser, makeup artist, whatever. So it's a very similar situation to that. So remote shooting became a thing. And then, for instance, I did Pier Paolo's beautiful collection where, you know, there's 20-foot tall dresses. I just saw those in Qatar, actually, because they're part of that new exhibition that Valentino is staged in Qatar. So I saw them in person, and previously I'd only ever seen them in those images. So that was shot in Rome, but directed from Show Studio in London. So that was something that started to happen. That was one stream of content, if you want. But then, you know, Ricardo Tisci said to me, I want to create an avatar. I want to create a virtual thing. Can you help me with that? So we did a, an avatar of Kendall Jenner. So we got Kendall to photograph herself, get her partner to take a thousand photographs away around her, use a very, very common cheap app that you have on your phone to do 3D scanning, um, and send all the data to the person, CGI artist, I work with Tom Wandrag. And uh, we recreated a virtual candle. Originally, it was for a set of stills for the campaign. And then I said to Ricardo, you know, I can move the camera. And it says, this is a street. It's not just like a fat, flat photograph. I can move the camera a- around candle. You can he said, oh, that'll turn it into a film. So I said, yeah, kind of. So we had somebody in a motion capture suit and then her avatar on screen. And I would direct the person in a motion capture suit remotely. And so we made Kendall move, and we wanted, Ricardo wanted her on a skateboard, so we got a person in a motion capture suit to do skateboarding up and down the flat of, the, of my friend Tom. So it, it was very sort of immediate and almost sort of, you know, not lo-fi, but, you know, just doing what you can do. But it kind of worked. So what's so amazing, Nick, about that time when we were all locked down was the kind of forcing mechanism of the digital transformation that you know you've been talking about for a long time that so many of us have been watching kind of inch along over the years and then all of a sudden without any other option everyone was forced to like Ricardo Tishi you know maybe a designer who is more traditional in his approach is calling you and saying oh well how do i make it work now that everything's reopened and everyone's doing physical fashion shows and physical shoots again. What do you make of that? Was that all that digital innovation, just a temporary thing? No, I think actually the going back to the physical is a temporary thing, to be honest. You know very well from running the business of fashion that the business is something that drives fashion in some ways. It's not necessarily, in my opinion, the best way of driving any creative art form, but it is realistically one of the things that does it. And I think to make money out of fashion, there was a decision to be made is do we make less money for a while knowing we're going to make more money later or do we go back to our old way of making money, which is the kind of advertising campaigns and magazines, uh, the catwalk shows, blah, 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 because we know how to do that. So why rock the boat? Because we could be in the wilderness for like another three years, five years, whatever it is, not making any money, all our profits will drop, et cetera. It's all very frightening. It's not very creative thinking. It's not very adventurous thinking. And it doesn't deal with any of the problems that the world is facing, which are quite numerous and quite profound, and that should be laid quite firmly at the door of fashion and the fashion industry to help solve. 
just continuing creating clothes ad infinitum, knowing full well that the fashion industry is the third biggest polluter on the planet and doing nothing about it other than token greenwashing, isn't the solution. However, it kind of feels nice to be sitting back on a catwalk and watching people walk up and down. But it's not the solution. It's not the future. And it's actually very unfashionable. You know, fashion is about looking towards the future. Fashion is about finding new way of doing things. Almost by its definition, fashion is a sort of future predictive medium. I'm sure I've said that to you in every interview I've, I've done together. So I, in a way, yes, it, it sort of switched back for a little bit. But when these changes happen, not everybody switches back. You know, and also people who haven't ever been plugged into that old system think, you know what, it's not the system I want to be involved in. And they start the new system. They start doing things a, a different way. And there are quite a lot of people doing things in a new way. Obviously, the metaverse and the idea of a sort of virtual space has sort of dropped well with some people. Some of the sort of companies have thought, okay, this is A, exciting creatively, and B, good for making money because it's massive amounts of people. It's a bit like with the change we saw when I put Plato's Atlantis live to the internet. You know, before 300 people went to sort of fashion shows, went back to the magazines, told the editor six months later to see a thing. Actually, we made the fashion shows live, as we did with McQueen's Plato Atlantis. All of a sudden, six million people trying to come and watch it. You know, everybody, every CEO goes, oh, okay. So wait a minute, this is a better model. And the whole thing changes. Like the season later, there was 70% of London fashion shows were live. And I think the metaverse probably is another huge uh, watershed in how we communicate, driven partly because... And I'm not, as I said, I don't think fashion or any art form should be driven by money, but some are, especially fashion. But it's going to make more money in the end. Where I come from, it's going to be much more exciting because it's it's new. It feels that we can do things in a completely different way from conventional art. You know, I'm not just talking fashion, but also painting and sculpture. And it's a fundamentally better experience, you know, for attaining knowledge and involvement with a piece of work. So, you know, the metaverse and virtual spaces do become a real possibility. I was thinking about Plato's Atlantis this morning. I was wondering how this moment in time with the evolution of everything that people are calling the metaverse or Web3 is similar to that moment. And I remember when that show was live streamed, 70% of London fashion shows the next season were live streamed. But actually, it took maybe five or six years before the industry really understood like how that was going to fit into its operating model, that actually live streaming shows was less about selling clothes instantly. It was more about connecting with customers and building a brand moment, right? And so there was all that debate around see now, buy now, and all the experiments that Christopher Bailey and others tried that ultimately didn't work. In a way, it feels like we're in a similar moment right now. So one question I wanted to ask you, because I always ask people who are operating in the Web3 space, how do you explain the metaverse and Web3 to your mother? <laughs> That's a tricky one, Imran, partly because you know, my mom was born in 1915, so explaining most modern concepts to my mother would be, if she was still alive, bless her, quite a tricky thing to do. But I think it's The future, a lot of people have a fear of the future because they don't understand it. And what they don't understand, they fear. When you feel you don't understand something, you don't know how much of it you don't understand. So you presume that everybody knows loads more than you do. The metaverse largely doesn't exist in any case yet, but it will do. But it's quite simply, you know, we're quite at ease with Zoom. That's a digital space. 
you know, prior to the pandemic, we were not at ease with Zoom. We'd, nobody virtually had used it. The thing is that the fashion was sort of reasonably small as a sort of sphere of influence. Gaming, for which a lot of this technology is being used already, and the idea of participate, group participation in the virtual space is a massive sphere of influence. I mean, it's like the sun to the moon, you know? Fashion is the moon, <laughs> gaming is the sun. So there's a huge audience to get through to there. So I think most people do know about gaming. Very few people know about fashion and truth. And you've also got to sort of realize that it's not something that's finished yet. It's a moving, evolving thing. And it's being created as we speak by lots of different people in lots of different ways. And the fashion world is very naughty at sort of not being what it should be, which is forward-looking, you know, to look back on things. When we started Show Studio back in 2000, I think a lot of the fashion world overlooked the internet. They felt it wasn't for them. It was techy. Even sending an email was, was techy and weird, and they wouldn't want to do it. For a long time, we still used to get faxes from Vogue. It just didn't change for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it became obvious. And, and the period of time which it changed is actually incredibly short. If you compare it to, let's go back to the beginning of Vogue and Condé Nast, Mr. Condé Nast, who encouraged his newfound photographers, fashion photographers, Edward Steichen and Baron Adolf de Meyer, to put fashion photography into his magazine because he believed in it as an art form. So Condé Nast was forward-looking. He stopped using fashion illustration. I wanted to have these opinionated, aesthetically kind of highly motivated fashion photographers creating images. You know, that was 1915, roughly. Fashion photography didn't really crystallize itself in the way that we understand it till the mid-60s. That's when it sort of crystallized itself into the sort of art form, if you want, that we understand now. So it took 60 years for this thing. And we're, what, we're 22 years into show studio now. That's quite a short time for a huge revolution in how we look at fashion, how we communicate. So what I think is really exciting, because it shows us a, a totally different way of understanding not only the creation of imagery, also the way that people's relationships work, their sort of desires. You know, we all dress in a certain way, Imran. We all say something about ourselves with how we dress. When you go into a virtual space, you still have a physical appearance. So I got invited by two doll makers, Russian twins, and they invited me to go to see an exhibition they put on in the virtual space. And I, get, I put on a, a headset, wrote a message saying, hey, I'm about to go in. I went into this virtual space and it was amazing. They'd created this space and they had like 30 foot dolls walking around. It looked like the turbine hall of the Tate Modern. So I went in there and I said, to them, I wrote a text to them saying, hey, hey, I'm just, I've got into space, it's amazing. They said, oh, hold on, we'll come and see you. And then I saw these two avatars coming towards me from either side of the screen and both dressed in Chanel, one dressed in pink Chanel, one dressed in baby blue Chanel. And I'm thinking, wow, they actually look amazing. And they were actually just, you know, they're kind of square blocks. The avatars made up of like six blocks. But they still looked amazing out of just six cubes. And as they were coming towards me, I suddenly thought, but what on earth do I look like? I just put on a headset and entered into this space. So I looked down at my feet. And I actually really don't want to describe to you what I look like, but it wasn't good. Imagine Toy Story and you're carving the right department. <laughs> so that raises a really interesting question, which is this idea of using fashion as a form of expression, not just in the physical world, which we know, but using fashion as a form of expression 
in virtual spaces. And if Nick Knight, whose kind of signature look is to wear Savile Row suits and a sharp white shirt with a white pocket square, and that's kind of what you're known for, like, how do you think about your avatar or look in virtual spaces? So without making it too much about me and what I wear, but of course one has a self-image, which is one that has come to through a series of decisions, which one is at ease with. Step into the metaverse and you're surrounded by different visions of people. You have a look. I wouldn't recommend you just go for the default look, which comes with whatever Oculus Rift glasses you've got on. So you think, okay, so I am now having an avatar built of myself. I've been 3D scanned and everything else. And I'm working with Carlo Brandelli, who used to be at Kilgar, you know, with my old patterns and my old fitting drawings to recreate a virtual suit for myself. Because why not? But then you get to the question, okay, so is there anything about myself I want to change? And I'm still in that kind of space where I'm thinking, I probably don't, which I probably should, but I don't actually. I'll just be who I am. But then you get into thinking, well, okay, maybe my suit should be a little bit more this or a bit more that or a bit more fitted. Or bit and then if somebody, you meet somebody else and you think, wow, they look sharp. They look really kind of together. I wish I looked like them. You're straight back into where you are in the real world. Exactly. And what I think is so amazing, like when I've been talking to people who are operating in digital design, and creativity in virtual spaces. Like you don't even have to think about your suit as a piece of fabric. I mean, it could be made of water or it could be on fire. And just like how it works in the real world, you might see someone walking down the street and say like, wow, like I really love how that person has put together their look. In this case, it's the exact same kind of emotion. No difference. It's just a human thing of kind of wanting people to admire you or to respect you or to or you to look good or for you to feel uh, this is a vision of yourself you're, you're at ease with or you're proud of, whatever. If we take this out of the example of me doing it, people will want to look really good on the internet. If you're going to an opening anywhere in the metaverse, you're going to see a Travis Scott concert or you're going to see a, an opening of, of the Gal Brothers or you're going anywhere and you're appearing in this as an avatar, you are really going to want to look how you want to look. And if you then have the possibility of looking however you want, you can be whatever you feel, and it can be one based on on physical world. That's for me, is incredibly creative. And of course, as you say, your suit, if you were wearing a suit, could slowly change color throughout the evening. I remember when I first, way back in 1999, did my first 3D scan of a fashion model and put her on a virtual catwalk. And I remember the person I was working with said, there's this thing in Japan they've got where you can change the nature of the material so it can be kind of leather or it can like chiffon. I remember thinking back in 1999, yeah, that would be a great catwalk. The same dress starts at one end of the catwalk in chiffon, and then by the time it gets to the other end of the catwalk, it's made of leather. So I think digital fashion designers are starting to deal with those concepts. So I think we are relearning a whole bunch of things. You can't just take exactly what we do in the real world and... That's not necessarily the best thing to do in a, in a space which is a, a virtual space where so many more things are possible. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Yeah, exactly. And I think the more time I spend engaging in the space, the more you realize that it's kind of a limitless space because the aesthetics are completely different. The kind of frameworks and the contexts are completely different. And that unleashes a whole new level of creativity and design and potential that we don't even have in the physical world. So let's talk a little bit about this new Icon One project. And first, why don't you tell me the genesis of the project? Like, Why and how did you decide that this is where you wanted to focus some of your very, very precious time and attention? Well, it started right by the beginning, at the beginning of the pandemic, when I've been thinking about kind of, you know, avatars and what they should look like and how people want to have avatars, which look amazing. I mean, if I'm having an avatar of myself, I don't want to look like a cartoon. I don't want to look like I'm covered in a thin layer of shiny plastic. You know, I want to look as beautiful as I would make somebody look if I was photographing them. And the same thing if I'm working with a model, whether it's Kendall or Giselle, who's at the Muse for Icon One. I want them to look as beautiful as they do when I meet them in the studio or when I photograph them. And I'd spend a lot of my career making every effort I can do to make people look as desirable, beautiful, you know, exciting, whatever, as I possibly can. That's my craft. And so when I'm making avatars, I want to have the same discipline. 
actually want a model that looks as beautiful as they could ever look. You know, so I've been talking to different models and I've scanned a lot of the well-known models. I'm saying to them, okay, you, you really need to work with me because there are people out there who are using your likeness and now deep fake, it's a very easy thing to do using your likeness and you don't have any control of that. So I've been looking at that and the idea of making a virtual model agency for some years um, because it's kind of clear that, you know, that's where one of the places it's going. Um, you know, and then, of course, the model, whoever it could be, could appear in a, a fashion shoot for one house, could appear at an opening, could appear in a discussion panel, all simultaneously without them having to leave the house. I've never particularly liked the idea that models have a finite career of 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. Why shouldn't they, like every other profession, keep on creating with the imagery? So I'd known Giselle for probably about five, six years now, discovered them on Instagram when they were a model at an agency in Chicago. They shaved off their eyebrows and the model agency very short-sightedly said, you'll never work again. We're getting rid of you off our books. You can go. And Giselle went to New York, shaved their head. And, you know, I saw them straight away and, and booked them to come and work for Come de Gasson with me. You know, and they've had a pretty amazing career since. But they're more than just a model, or they're a model in the new sense of it, because Giselle creates images of themselves. It's a very performative, it's almost like a kind of you know, modern version of Cindy Sherman, if you want. So I wanted to put the model, Giselle in this case, right back in the middle of this relationship that an image maker has with a, with a, a model and a designer. I can absolutely remember models being referred, great models being referred to as a blank canvas, as if they had no say in it. And the whole idea of the model being a kind of blank canvas is slightly dismissive to that person. So what I wanted to do with Giselle is put them in the creative middle of this. So they are authorizing, coming up with, creating their own looks for me rather than me just imposing on them and that a fantasy or an idea that I may have or a designer may have. So it was very important to change that relationship. And I think that's very coherent of what you see on platforms like Instagram you know, which people, I think, rather foolishly dismiss as selfies, as if that's something that is bad. But actually, you're seeing they don't have to fit into any ethnicity, any body shape, anything else, you know, any physicality. They create and they have big fan bases. And, you know, they don't need photographers. They don't need magazines. They don't need fashion brands. They don't need a catwalk. They don't need an advertising agency. They just create looks for themselves. There's no need for all the paraphernalia that we've all had to exist with. You know, they've just got out there on Instagram and did it. And I'm permanently finding artists like that um, on Instagram. So I wanted to work with somebody who felt of that generation, if you want, or that, that mindset, that they were just not just a model who was a sort of recipient of other people's desires and other people's visions, but actually were generating their own visions. So that's why Giselle was perfect for it. And I'd worked with her in any case on one of the big queer projects we did on Show Studio. They came into the studio and created look after look after look. And then we took them from the studio and put them in Victoria Station, which is just two blocks down from us, just to say, let's get out of the safe space of the studio. We're always creating this safe space. Let's see what happens when this transposes into the real world. You look amazing, but let's see what it looks like walking through Victoria Station. Let's change the context of all this. So I knew that they were a very performative person, you know, that they loved doing that. And that was something that they you know, completely endorsed. The, the funny thing is, you know, we all dress in different ways. Some people dress to break society. Some people dress not to fit in and to say exactly, I don't fit into society and you can see by everything I'm doing, I'm not part of what you guys are part of. So, you know, I did think it was important to work with somebody who had that sort of authorship of their own image. 
And then the other thing I thought, well, I've been seeing for three years or more now, every time I look at the graduates, we work a lot with the London colleges, I've been seeing these graduates who are doing digital fashion and digital fashion doesn't pollute the environment and you don't have to kind of use up our natural resources to make it. A lot of people who are starting out in their career in their mid-20s are really seriously worried about the state of the world. So I think that we have a responsibility to kind of really say what fashion really is and actually start looking at a different way. And maybe that starts a different relationship with us, our own image, and how we consume fashion. If I'm going to, into the metaverse to some function tonight and I've saved up all my money to get them either made for me or I've made the best outfit I can possibly make, but perhaps in real life I, I wear stuff that's much less flashy. So we're quite at ease with different visions of ourselves in different contexts. Maybe the metaverse and virtual spaces in the metaverse is just a better way of you know, creating a more pronounced visions of ourselves and also ones that, that feel a little bit more coherent with the idea of um, keeping going on this planet and actually not just ignoring all that. So I understand the opportunity you see in the metaverse. I understand why you chose to work with Giselle. I still don't understand exactly what the Icon One project is. So how does it work? What are the fundamentals of this project? And how does it offer something new to the fashion industry? Okay, so first of all, let's look at the fashion in it. The fashion is all digital fashion. So you have 30 designers. That's like a kind of Paris Fashion Week scale of new invention in fashion. What I've always loved about Fashion Weeks is it's like you're seeing what all these artists are proposing a vision. Now, I've worked with 30 different digital fashion designers, and so partly it's proposing their vision of what people should look like. So what I'm doing with it is saying, okay, show studio is becoming a virtual space. This is your ticket into that virtual space. If you buy one of these NFTs, because we're, we're saying the collection is NFTs, it's your ticket to the, all the events that are coming up in the virtual space of Show Studio. So Show Studio is becoming a virtual space. It's a real space, of course, as you know, but it's also becoming a virtual space. So if I wanted to, let's say, launch Gaga's next film that I'm working on with her in a virtual space, it would be at Show Studio. So we invite people to come to Show Studio. They'd turn up as their avatars. So that's a kind of an event that can happen at Show Studio in the virtual version of Show Studio. I think what we have to do is slightly get out of our minds. And what I'm trying to do is help people do that as the kind of what the metaverse looks like. It can look like whatever we want. It needn't look like the things that most of us have seen. But the metaverse will change. So that's for me, is an exciting prospect. And that's what we're doing with Show Studio. So this first collection, Icon 1, is literally 8,000 tickets into the new show studio. The first event of that will be Giselle modeling. Well, I photograph her, but it will be an avatar of me, an avatar of Giselle. And the public, you know, especially the 8,000 people who bought the NFTs, can get priority access into that. So everybody can come and watch it, like standing in my studio watching it. But the people who bought the NFTs, maybe they can take away a unique photograph that I'll make during that session. Maybe they can look through my camera and tell me to change the lighting. All those sorts of things become a much better experience than the classic old model of a photographer working away in their studio by themselves with six or seven other people privately and nobody coming involved. And then six months later, some image coming out that nobody can interact with. This is, for me, exactly what Show Studio was always meant to be there for. So one of the things that you know I was reading about in this like fact sheet that your team sent over to me. It says more than 200 unique traits 
have been produced to curate these one-of-a-kind artworks, which were then styled by Giselle to author their image and personal style for the metaverse. And honestly, when I started reading that, it reminded me of projects like CryptoPunks or Bored Ape Yacht Club, where you have all of these different iterations, permutations, and combinations of unique traits that together create this collection of avatars or NFTs that people can buy. Is this kind of a fashion version of that? And what's similar to that? And what's different? That's exactly what it is. That's the sort of model in the much same way that you know, if you talk about a magazine, it's a glossy thing you hold in your hands, and you turn the pages. It's got about as much connection to that. But that's the same sort of mechanism. The important thing is that it's an incredibly new experience for a lot of people and leading to many more new experiences with lots of different artists. That's the sort of setup for it. But yes, it's the same delivery system, the same sort of mechanics as those, but not exact, not the same content, should we say. So what's the fashion angle? Well, you have 30 digital designers, because I wanted to make it into something that was in some way blended the feeling of touch by the hand of the artist. I think one of the things that sort of people have a little bit of difficulty with digital imagery is it can feel a bit perfect and the imperfections of life or sort of touch by the hand of the artist feeling is removed from it or doesn't exist in it. So I asked Eugene Solomon, one of the, probably in the top three or top five hairdressers in the world, to come into the studio and make different headpieces or hairstyles, but make them out of real world objects. So eucalyptus bark, feathers, honey, anything really that, that came to hand. So you, and then we 3D scanned those and used those for Giselle's headpieces. I, want, I don't want to come hair because it's not really hair. That would be, it's again using one of those old world terms. It's not really hair. It's what happens up here. Then I'm just going to get a little bit technical, I'm afraid. But then I took each image, and these are images that are in 360, and I worked on a program called ZBrush where you completely change somebody's shape just as if you had a paintbrush. So I completely changed their physicality. So some of these icon ones aren't even humanoid anymore. They're completely a different proposal of life. It gets to more slightly more profound thing, which I've mentioned very quickly, is that we are working a lot in a hyper-reality or hyper-intelligence evolutionary step. AI is doing things that we can't possibly comprehend. You know, this is a new evolutionary step. And we've been very arrogant, thinking that we are the end of the evolutionary journey. And actually, we're not. We are going to have to get used to, in fact, we will have no choice, but get used to the idea that we are not the most intelligent species on the planet. And just because we're a carbon-based life form doesn't mean that's the only life form you can have. If you have a silicon-based life form, if it has intelligence, there's no reason why that evolution of intelligence doesn't keep on going. There is a possibility we are the only intelligent life form in the whole universe. If we die out, wipe ourselves out, or fail to evolve to meet the conditions that are changing, that means intelligence dies out with us. And that's quite sad. And maybe our mission is to encourage new life forms. And either we are recreating something or allowing our evolutionary step to create new life forms. If we ignore it and say, oh, it's much better when everything was physical and this digital world's all frightening and horrible, it's still going to exist. And, you know, we need to be a part of it. This is a new world we're creating. It's a new civilization step. It's a new evolutionary step of how we relate to each other. The old world has been created largely by big business um, and by the military. Now, big business and the military are trying to create the metaverse as well. I don't want that to happen. 
I want artists to create the metaverse because I think we do have a chance, a utopian perhaps chance, to create a better civilization in the metaverse, which isn't shaped by power, greed, and money, and killing. That's all I'm, I'm thinking is a, a worthy thing to aim for. Now, if artists reject this new space that we can kind of create, I think it's a real shame because otherwise it will be shaped by the military and big business. So speaking of big business, there's been a lot of hype around the metaverse insofar as you know, Mark Zuckerberg renamed his company. And just this week, Meta laid off 11,000 people, 13% of their total workforce, admitting that Mark Zuckerberg was overly optimistic about this space. Just now you said it's big business and military that are kind of also trying to evolve this space. Like, where do you see the opportunity for fashion and the more creative expressions in this space versus what the big controlling powers in the world are doing? Well, I think you can look at that, you know, take it much more simply in a, a much sort of earlier metaverse type situation, which is uh, Instagram. And you can see people on Instagram creating their own worlds. So yeah, absolutely. And they're not creating them for business. They're creating for fulfillment and for articulating who they are and values it's a room which feel in some ways soulful and, um, and have integrity for them. And they're not just feeling they're producing things to, to sell. I think the problem is that we, we valued or we put value and, and attributed to success to things which just make a lot of money. And I'm not into that idea as, as a, a, a way to measure success. Uh, and I think we need to really move away from that. As always, Nick, you have nothing less than the most open of minds, illustrating possibilities that I hadn't even considered in this conversation. So thank you for laying out so passionately your vision. It's, you know, it's given me and our listeners a lot to reflect on and think about. So thank you for your time, Nick. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.